Ah! Someone grunting out there? Hey, it's good to have you here. My name is Brian Badbone Klein. <laughs> no, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And, you know, this morning I was trying to figure this out. <laughs> I found out what David was like before he fought Goliath. Saul put all that stuff on him. David's kind of like going, I can't, I can't do this. So, you know what? I can't do this anymore. <laughs> Got to get this off. So just bear with me. There we go. Well, happy Father's Day to you guys. It's a great day for men. Great day to spend some time together, family and friends. And, uh, you know, why do we do this? Why do we do the food trucks, classic car rally, all that kind of stuff? Because men matter to God. Okay? And uh, I love seeing what God is doing in men's lives. I love seeing God at work in men's lives and seeing them responding to the call of God in their hearts. I want you to take advantage today of just, we provided all the food there for you. We're not paying it for you, okay? I'm sorry about that. I wish we could pay it for you. But relax. Enjoy time with the family. Make, make access to the food trucks. Look at the cars. Think about old memories and enjoy one another. If you have kids, let them play in the inflatables and enjoy watching them do that, guys. And then we've got like this horse and wagon rides. I mean, these horses are huge. And uh, just enjoy getting on the wagon. They're going to take you out around the north side and give you a wagon ride together. Time to enjoy each other as a family. I love that. I love the fact that, uh, you know, we have bikes, we have trucks, we have cars, we have tractors, we have horses, we have wagons, we have <laughs> we have motors. And what we're going to do is we're going to get revved up. We're going to look at our hearts. And we're going to get revved up and we're going to enjoy the motors and the kids and the family. But one of the things we're going to look at here today is the fact that God is all about restoring our lives and rebuilding the power of Christ in our lives. And I hope that we can enjoy doing that today. And man, I know that today is, you know, some of you are going to stand around the cars and you're going to flip the hood up. You're going to stand there. Three or four of you are going to look at that inside there and you're just going to go, wow, look at that. Look at that. Man, it's amazing. Oh, that's just totally amazing. And all the women are going, what are they doing over there? Right? Why are they standing around looking at an engine? 
Because men like power. Men like to see power happening. And guys, I want you to know that today we're going to talk about rebuilding cars. But not only about rebuilding cars, but rebuilding our lives. You know, I put on all that garb. I put on all that garb. I put a little tattoo on my arm. Honey, it's coming off, okay? It's dry erase. So it uh, doesn't stay on forever. But you know, the title of the message is You Can't Build What Your Heart Doesn't Possess. I could try to be as bad to the bone as I want to be. And I could put on all the stuff that makes me look bad and makes me look tough. Makes me look like I'm some big bike rider, but you know what? It's not in my heart. It's not in my heart. It, it, you know, it was just kind of like foreign. I needed to get that off as quick as possible. But, uh, you know, my brother, my younger brother, I want to show you a photo that my younger brother sent to me. He said he found a car. He said, hey, Brian, I found a car I want to restore and rebuild. And he was kind of like almost giddy. It's almost like it was his first car ever. And I thought, wow, what kind of car is this? And he sends me this photo. And I'm, I'm going, it's like got a flat front tire and the body's all just beat up and, and stuff. And, and I'm saying to myself, you know, I would have just walked by. I would have walked by. It never would have caught my attention, but it caught my brother's. But my brother was all excited, and he said, I bought it. And I want you to know that I bought it for $2,100. I go, you bought that for $2,100? Yeah. I was like, you, you couldn't even pay me to take that. Okay? And I said, well, what are you going to do? And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tear it down to its frame, and I'm going to rebuild it back up. I'm going to be the tool man. And, and I said, I don't get it. And for eight months, from start to finish, weeknights and weekends, he poured into this broken down rubble of a car. And here's just some photos of it I asked him to send me. He took the shell, the body off. He went it all the way down to the frame of the, of the, of the body. He, 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 he sanded it. He, he painted it. He did all those things. He restored the motor. He put a new motor in it. He primed it. He painted it. Eight months, nights and weekends in the shop. Grinding on the metal, painting on the metal, working and working and working on it. And I said, I don't get it. You see, for my brother, he was willing to build that which his heart possessed. And he had a heart for rebuilding and restoring cars. And that 1970 Nova had a memory for him that he wanted to reignite in his life. And so he did. But going way down to the, to the very frame of the body and building it back up. 
I'd love to have the car now. Just look at the car now. <laughs> That's what I want. Mr. Starsky and Hutch. He looks pretty cool in there, doesn't he? My younger brother's so cool. I didn't get any of the coolness. I mean, I had to come out on a scooter for crying out loud. And someone asked me back there, did you get a helmet for that? Because that looked kind of dangerous. But he's so cool. But he has a heart for that. I don't. Now, the difference between my brother and me is this. He loves to take something that looks like it's in rubble and in shambles, and he loves to take it and pull it into himself, and he loves to just pour into it and rebuild and restore it. You know, isn't that a lot about what God's done for us? Isn't that a lot about how God looks at us and he sees us in the rubble of life? That we're just, we're just falling apart, we're crumbling because of the sin and the pressures of the world and the things of the world, and we're just falling apart? And God reaches down and says, I want that. You know what? I won't pay $2,100. I'll give my top dollar. I'll give my only son. I'll give my very best. That's who I want. I want him. I want her. Jesus, come on. Let's go rebuild. That which sin has brought to a rubble. You see, today we will see You'll see all the different classic cars out there. You'll see a classic tractor. You'll see a wagon that has been restored and rebuilt to be pulled by a team of horses. Because men and women out there have found something that they want to pour their life into and enjoy and rebuild and rebuild and, and, and make it better than it once was. Each of them have a heart to see the potential to rebuild and to restore to even greater than its original likeness. You know, it isn't just with cars. You know, you may not be a car guy like I, I, you know, I like going out and looking at that stuff, but don't ask me to get involved in building that stuff. It wouldn't look like that. It just wouldn't look like that if I was doing it. But there are things that I'm passionate about that I'm willing to pour myself into. And I, man, there are things that you're passionate about that, that, you, that you are willing to rebuild because it possesses your heart. Because it has a hold of your heart. You may love baseball and you may watch all the baseball in the world and you're going to talk about baseball to your kids and you're going to talk about baseball to others and you're going to find others to talk baseball. It could be golf. It could be basketball. It could be football. It could be um, finances or economics. It could be any of those kind of things that you're going to, it possesses your heart and you're willing to rebuild it into somebody else's life. There are other times that we want to build something. There are other times that as men, guys, this is not a bashing on Father's Day, okay? I just want you to know that. But I'm going to speak pretty firm as well. But there are times that we want to build, and we know that God has called us and wired us to be leaders of our family, 
He's called and wired us to, to take charge and to lead well. And we want to build that. And sometimes we feel so awkward trying to lead a family devotional. Or we feel so awkward grabbing our wife's hand and, and praying out loud with her. We feel so awkward being able to speak out about the truth of God to someone else in a conversation. And then we finally get to a point that we say, you know what, I don't think this is for me. And so we decide that we're going to stop trying to build that and we just decide that we're just going to kind of live in the rubble like everybody else. And we're going to blend into the culture of everybody else. And we're going to talk about things like everybody else. You see, we come to the book of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah, God has just powerfully, just the Holy Spirit has just powerfully impacted my life as I I was reading through Nehemiah and all of a sudden it was just like Brian you've got to pay attention to what's going on here in this man's life and so I went back to the front of Nehemiah and I started reading it over again and all of a sudden this book wasn't just about a historical book of Nehemiah leading the Jewish people to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem this book was all about God saying Brian what have you what are you satisfied living in the rubble with what are the things that you've just decided that you're going to, it's okay, I'm just going to live in the rubble, and, and it, it, that's, I'm going to be satisfied with the status quo. And God says, I want to rebuild something in your life. Will you let me do that? Will you let me restore and rebuild and renew that in your heart? And so we come to the book of Nehemiah. And when I what I want to do is, I, before we get into the passage, I want to give you kind of a quick historical uh, flow of how Israel, the people of Israel, got to this point in the book of Nehemiah, okay? But I'm going to kind of use the classic car version, if you will. I, I'm not a great historian. I don't like history so much, so I, I can't remember the dates and stuff. But man, when I, when I could transfer it into, and dumb it down a little bit so I can understand it a little bit better as a guy, all of a sudden it sticks with me. So here's the classic car version, okay? The classic car version of the people of Israel is a new nation was started with a covenant with Abraham. Remember that? Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of a nation. And he sets this covenant up. It's kind of like God saying to, to Abraham, there's going to be a new nation. It's like a new 1970 Nova. And he puts it together and it happens. And with that, as this new nation is formed, God establishes in his word to Abraham and to to all other men, that this nation will prosper and will be a blessing to many people as long as you follow, if you will, my definition of follow the instruction manual of how, why I put you together as a country, as a people. If you would love me and serve me and follow me with all your ways, I will bless you. And you shall be a nation that will be powerful and strong, and, and they did well for a while, just like we do well with our new car for a while. And then all of a sudden, we start neglecting some things. We start ignoring the manual, 
And that's what happened to the people of Israel. They just started saying, you know what? I don't think we really need to follow all of that. And so they started neglecting the manual, and all of a sudden what started happening was the nation started facing troubles, and they started breaking down. And they all of a sudden started not always being this dominant, dominant people. And eventually what happened was the Babylonians came and they took over the city of Jerusalem. And they sent the people into exile. And they captured them and no longer did they have their homes and no longer did they have the security of the walls of Jerusalem and no longer did they even have their temple anymore to worship in. It was all gone because they chose to decide to neglect the very words of what it would take to stay strong as a country, as a people, as his people. And pretty soon the Babylonian captivity had captured all the Jewish people. And then a few years later, the Persian Empire rose and took over the Babylonian Empire. And the king of the Persian Empire had said, to the people, the Jewish people, you know, you can go back to Jerusalem if you want. And so it's kind of like he bought this used car. And so the people went back to Jerusalem, and what do you think was one of the first things that, that the Jewish people did when they went, got back into their city? What do you think was the first thing they built? Any questions? Any ideas? First thing they built was the temple the temple of God. But then it stopped. They built the place of worship, but then the very walls and the very gates that was around the city was no longer there. And, and they tried to rebuild the walls and the, and the people that had, had, the Persian people had discouraged them and they decided not to build the walls anymore. And so the people of, of the Jewish people decided, you know what, we're just... Live in the rubble. Just live, live in the rubble. In Nehemiah, we come to the chapter one. And Nehemiah is living in the king's palace. It says that he was living in the king's palace. I was in Susa, the citadel. And the Susa is modern day Iran today. And so he's living in the king's palace, and his brother comes, and some other guys from Jerusalem area, and Nehemiah asks this one question. And Nehemiah says to his brother and to their buddies, he says, hey guys, how are things in Jerusalem? How are things? And one question like that changed Nehemiah's heart. It changed his life and it changed his purpose. You see, our heart can be awakened by asking one question. Our heart can be awakened as men by asking one question. And you know, guys, you see, my brother, he asked one question. When he saw that 1970 Nova, you look at that picture once again, you see that not that one. That's the finished product. We want to see the junky one. Okay, there we go. When, when he saw that 1970 Nova, 
in the junkyard, he asked this one question, what's going on with this car? What's going to happen with this car? And things changed in his heart, and he said, you know what, I'm willing to buy that car. And he paid $2,100 for it. Because he believed in the value of what other people walked by and said, it's of no use. And then when he got done finishing the product, you know, let me ask you, what do you think that car is worth now? The final product. What do you think that's worth now? Anybody? Sold. My brother would be happy to sell for you for that right now. Okay, he'll drive it up and I'll, I'll call him, okay? All right? No, it, it appraises at $21,000. I'll take it now. You know, and isn't that the way it is that we want to see the final product of it? We want to see our life all polished and looking good. But, you know, what it takes to do the work to get to that final product. In Nehemiah, it says here that the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, now it happened in the month of Chislev. The month of Chislev is like November and December, okay? In the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped and who had survived the exile concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Have you ever asked a question? And then after asking the question, you wish you wouldn't have? Anybody out there? Kind of been in a group and you kind of ask the question and then it just kind of, oh man, this was more than what I thought it would be by asking that one question. And I kind of wonder if maybe, maybe Nehemiah felt that way. It's kind of like, hey, how are things in Jerusalem? Oh, and they give this description, and all of a sudden, he's just kind of hit in the gut with it. Have you ever asked, have you ever had a moment in time where you, you've regretted asking a question? Say, man, I wish I would have never asked that question. But later on, you say, hey, you know what, I'm kind of glad we did, because we were able to get a lot more accomplished by asking that question. We, miss, we would have missed some things if we went to ask that question. You see, men, I want you to know that I believe there's an awakening happening in men's lives today. I believe that there are men that are, are waking up. And I believe it's because men are willing to ask the question. Men are start, starting to say, you know what? I've been trying this and I'm worn out. I've been trying to do this spiritual thing. I've been trying to build spiritual principles in my life. And it's not working. And men are finally asking the question about themselves. And that question is, hey, what's going on in my Jerusalem? What's going on in my life? What, what is it looking like? And am I just satisfied with living in the rubble? Am I just satisfied with what all the other guys are doing? But does God have something greater and powerful for me to do? Does he have something greater that he wants to accomplish? I want you to know that you may feel broken down today. 
I don't know what you're walking in here as a man and, and even as a family. I don't know what you're carrying. But, you know, you may be broken down today. You may be at a spot that you have said, this is just what I am, and I'm not going to change because this is just what it is. And you may be saying, you know what, Pastor? I know, I know, I know. I've heard this every Father's Day. I need to be a better dad. I need to be a better husband. And I need to be a better man. Okay? And I pray that you won't just all of a sudden flip the switch off this morning. Because I believe God's powerfully got something through Nehemiah that he wants to say to each and every one of us as men. And I'm talking to myself as much as to any one of you guys out there. This is what God has shown me. Nehemiah asked the one question, and the answer broke his heart. It says that the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as he heard these words, what did Nehemiah do? It says, I sat down and I wept and I mourned. For hours. Just like the Jews, they're struggling and trouble is all around and they feel shame and they have no walls or gates anymore and they know that they are living in ruins and they're accepting it and just not willing to ask the question anymore. You see, what broke Nehemiah's heart not, wasn't so much that the walls were broken down, it was the fact that the people were satisfied with the walls staying broken down. That's what broke his heart. And let me ask you, in your spiritual journey of life, when you tried to build something in your spiritual life, and you said, you know what, I'm going to do better at this, and then all of a sudden you hit the test, and the wall comes crumbling down, are you, have you just kind of finally just said, you know what, it's okay. I'm just going to be satisfied with where I am spiritually. I'm just going to be satisfied with where I am I'm going to be complacent. I'm just going to stay at the status quo. And men, that should break our hearts. Because I believe God's got something bigger and greater and more powerful that he wants to do in your life as a man, in your life as a woman, and in your children's lives as parents. But we have to ask the question, that we don't normally like to ask because we don't want to hear, we don't want to have to deal with the results of the question. And the question is, how is my Jerusalem? How is the dwelling of God in my life? What does that look like? I'm saying to you today, I believe there's an awakening. I believe when men call me and say, Pastor, Pastor Brian, I'm looking for a man that I can meet with, that, I can, that is strong in his spiritual life, that can keep me strong in my spiritual life when I'm dealing with business principles. I believe when, I love it when men start texting me and start saying, Pastor Brian, could you pray for me? I'm, I'm under a battle right now. I'm, I'm discouraged and I'm despondent. Pastor Brian, I'm, I'm applying for a job. Could you pray for me that I be in tune with the word, what God wants me to do? You see, it's starting to ask the question. I want to grow and I want, I want to do what's right and I need your help. I need you to come alongside me. People, what is your spiritual Jerusalem like today? 
What are some things in your life that you've just been satisfying with muddling in the rubble? Just muddle in the rubble. It's okay, because that's just the way life is. I believe God's got a higher calling than that. Higher purpose. And look what Nehemiah does. It says, it says he sat down and he wept and mourned for days. He no longer has a passive heart, but he has a responsive heart. And Nehemiah's heart was so moved, he sat and wept for days. You know, when was the last time, I started thinking to myself, when was the last time that I was so moved and so bothered by something that happened in my life that it affected my mood for days? And all I could think of was that one day when Nebraska lost to Texas and there was supposedly one second left in the game. And if any of you are a Nebraska fan, how long did you spend time muddling in the rubble with that? Talking about it, going over and over, and saying how, much, how wrong I was and all that stuff. How sad a fact for me. But the last thing that, ex, that disturbed my mood, disturbed my heart, was the very fact that it was just a silly little football game and I can't even say who they even played because I can't quite get that out of my mouth. Texas Longhorns. <laughs> Guys, when you recognize your shortcomings and when troubles are coming into your life, what do we normally do? When life hands you something and all of a sudden you find yourself in the rubble and it feels like your world is falling apart around you, where do you focus? Do you focus on how unfair it is? Do you complain about how wrong it is? Do you talk about if it was only because of so-and-so and such-and-such? -and -such? I know what I do. I beat myself up. I say, there's something wrong with me. How come it works for others and it doesn't work for me? I used to do that a lot. I used to worship the, the little G God of if. And that used to be my God that I would spend most of my time meditating on. If only I could be as good as so-and-so. And if only I could do this. If only I could do that. And I would sit there and I would deal with the ifs in life. And that would be my focus. And that would be the, the God that I would worship was the if God. If only I could get a break. If only this. And I would totally forget about who the true God was. And Nehemiah shows us something powerful to help us with our broken state. Nehemiah does, what Nehemiah does here is critical. He is not only troubled by the situation, but he models for us when all of a sudden we blow it, how do we get out of just muddling in the rubble of our messes, okay? And what's the first thing he does? It says in verse 4, he sat down, wept, and mourned for days, continued fasting, and verse 5, he says, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. You know what he does? He begins looking up and he begins to, to start describing the awesomeness of who his God is. I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to do when all of a sudden I've had a bad day, and all of a sudden I've screwed up, 
and all of a sudden I've messed up, the last thing I want to do is I want to sit down and I want to worship and talk about how great God is. Anybody else there? Okay, I'm the only one. That's the last thing I want to do. But you know what God has been teaching me? All over and over in the Psalms, it's David's battling with things. And what does he do? He ends up worshiping the character of who God is and puts his heart and his mind in the right place. And that's what Nehemiah does. And Nehemiah not only looks to God with awe, he says, you're the great and awesome God. You're the God that keeps your covenant you're the God that's faithful even when I'm faithless, God. You're the God that restores even when I'm falling apart. God, you're the one that believes in me when I don't believe in myself. You're the God that is faithful to me even when I'm faithless. And your steadfast love to me stays the same. And he builds up this awe of God in his heart. And in his mind, and he realizes how great and awesome his God is. And then he moves on. Look what happens in verse 6. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. That I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel. Which we have, which what? Which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. You know what my prayer would have been? If I was Nehemiah, I could tell you what my prayer would have been, sounded like. God, I just pray that I've heard the, the terrible situation that the people of Jerusalem are in right now. God, I just pray that you, you would provide help, that you would send people there. Don't send me, but just send people there. God, I pray that you enable them to be rebuild the walls. I pray that you will supply the materials. God, I pray that you protect them from the enemies. Please provide the means and the way to take care of them. Those Persians, God, I pray that you would, would uh, those evil people, that you would remove them and stop them from bearing, being so oppressive. That's what I would have prayed. But Nehemiah pr- prays by looking in instead of Blaming people from without. You know, ladies and gentlemen, church, we would do a whole lot better if we, before we start grumbling and complaining about others that are outside and how they have caused this mess and, and caused all this heartache, if we would start looking inside and saying, what, what part did I have in this? Where have I been just kind of complacently satisfied with muddling in the rubble? And just kind of letting things get in a worse and worse place. What part, where have I sinned in this? Where have I gone wrong? You see, instead of just accepting that we made poor choices that cause us to drift, drift from God, it is what it is, and we, and we muddle in the rubble. And Nehemiah says, it's a heart problem, God. I've got a heart problem. My dad had a heart problem. Our family had a heart problem. And we come before you, God, and I ask you, God, that you would forgive me, God. You see, men today, God is calling us to build. And we need to humbly look within instead of pridefully blaming from without. 
Oh, if we had this kind of a leader, or if we only had this kind of a father, or this kind of a coach, or this for a boss, if my circumstances would just be different. The cause of every problem will always be sin. It's either our own or somebody else's. And the answer to sin is to look within and to confess it and bring it before God. And openly confess who we are. And not only did, did that happen, but then Nehemiah even goes down a little further. And he says, he acknowledges his indifference to God's word. Look at verse 7 and 8. Verse 7 and 8, he says, We have acted very corruptly against you, God, and I have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. When you muddle in the rubble of sin, it comes from having an indifference toward living out the word of God. As long as Israel has a leader who followed and loved God and followed his ways, Israel was going to be blessed and God was going to have protected favor upon them. But the minute they acted corruptly and decided to do it their way, things changed. You see, when a leader is indifferent to the truths of God's word, men, when we all of a sudden just kind of pick and choose what we want to obey, then trouble starts happening. We're not able to lead well. And we become idolatrous. We start worshiping the idol of self or idol of, of other things. And society starts going downhill. Because as the leader of the home goes, so goes the family. And as the family goes, so goes the church. And as the church goes, so goes the community. And as the community goes, so goes the country. But it all starts right here. It starts right here for me. It starts right there where you are. It's not just one man that's going to save our country. It's not just going to be a pastor that's going to save this church. It's going to be each and every one of us willing to ask the question, what is my Jerusalem like? And then he goes on. And he says, there are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed. In verse 9, he says, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, but if you return to me, God says. And Nehemiah prays and he realizes at the end, he says, and, he, and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So here's the lesson for us, men. We need to ask the question, seek God's face. When you're faced with the burden and challenge of leading and building in your own life and in your children's life for the future, you've got to fight against four areas in your heart. One of the natural things that we want to do, one of the first things we have to fight against, we have to fight against rejecting passivity. Men, we, we like to just delegate our responsibility. I, I hear men say this time and again. It's kind of like, you know what? I leave the spiritual things to my wife because she's so much better at it. 
I leave the praying to my wife because she's so much better at it. Well, she may be better at it, but God's called you to lead in it. Okay? And it isn't about who's better or who's not. It's about you leading. It's about you modeling. It's about you demonstrating to your kids that you are willing to build something into their lives, that God is a living and active God in your life. And you're willing to pray. And you're willing to talk about him. And you're willing to share the journey of what he's doing in your life. So it's passed down to your kids. So reject passivity. Give success. He says, God, just give success to your servant. I'm going to step into this. I'm the cupbearer. I'm the one that can have a difference because I work next to the king. Now, you may not be the cupbearer to the king, but you're the husband to your wife. You're the father to your children. You're the, you're the co-worker in your, in your workplace. You're the, you're the neighbor that lives in your neighborhood. You're, you're all of that, and you've you got to look at it and say, now I am this, and I have an opportunity to make an impact and a difference. Number two is accept the responsibility. I was cupbearer of the king, and Nehemiah said, okay, here I am, God. I'll talk to the king. I'll talk to the king. I'll accept the responsibility. I'll lead courageously, and I'll yield to God's greater reward. He led courageously by saying, grant to me mercy in the sight of this man. God, you know who I'm working with. King Artaxerxes, he could have my head at any moment. So would you grant me mercy that when I stand before the king, you bring me favor? And I will courageously stand up for you and yield to God's greater reward. He says, be attentive to the prayer of your servant. Okay, let me ask you today. You cannot build what you do not possess in your heart. You cannot build what you possess in your heart. You could put the leather chaps on, the leather vest on, the do-rag, you could put bad to the bone on your arm, but that doesn't mean anything about who I am. I'm not that. I'm a man that's trying to figure out how to build into my wife and how to build into my kids, how to make a difference in my own life. I can't give to my wife and to my kids anything that I don't possess in my heart first. So as men, we have to be able to look ourselves in the mirror. We have to ask ourselves, what is my Jerusalem like? And where have I just been pretty content with being satisfied with just maintaining life amongst the rubble of life? Next week, we'll talk and. Jeremiah, or Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm going to talk to you some very practical things that Nehemiah did to start rebuilding into his life. I encourage you to come back next week because we're going to talk about how do we do this? Because all of us have a desire in and of ourselves to want to be something better than what we are, right? Not? Huh? I hope so. And next week, we're going to look at some principles of what that looks like. 
We'll have the uh, worship team come up. They're going to lead you in a song that talks about building a wall. God build in us. He wants you to build a wall for your wife, for your family, for your sons, and for your daughters. But you can't build it unless your heart possesses it personally yourself. And then after they're done leading us in song, we'll close out in prayer. I'd be happy to talk to any of you if you have any further questions about what we talked about in regard to Nehemiah. Go ahead.